was probably the greatest storyteller that ever lived. And he loved to tell stories. And uh, we are looking at a very familiar story this morning. It's called The Prodigal Son. And uh, this is in Luke chapter 15. And this is one of three stories that Jesus told in that passage of Scripture, in that chapter. Uh, because he was asked the question, uh, Jesus, why do you like to hang out with sinners? Why are you attracted to sinners and why are sinners attracted to you? And, uh, and because of that question, Jesus told three parables. One was about the lost sheep and the shepherd who uh, left the 99 to go after the one. And then he told the story about the, the woman who had lost a coin, one of her ten coins, and she turned the place upside down trying to search for this coin. And both the sheep that the shepherd found and the coin that the woman found, uh, man, they sell Celebrated. There was a party going on because what was lost was now found. And then he comes to this third story. And this third story uh, has to do with the prodigal son. It's a famous story. You've probably heard this story. Maybe some uh, sermons preached on this message. And so that's what I want to talk about this morning. Because in Jesus telling these three stories, Jesus was telling these, these Pharisees. That uh, that the Father has a heart for lost people. Jesus said that He didn't come to um, to preach and and minister to those who are well. Jesus came to to reach those who were sick, who were in need of a physician. He came to touch and to heal the sick. And, uh, and so Jesus spent a lot of time with, with lost people. He was attracted to them and they were attracted to him as well. And, uh, and so maybe you're here this morning and, and, uh, maybe you're feeling far removed from God. Maybe you grew up in the church and, uh, you made a decision for Christ at one point, but, uh, Things just haven't been the same, and maybe you've wandered away from the faith. Or maybe you've never come to faith in Christ. Well, I, I, I hope that this message, Jesus' story, encourages you. And you know how God feels about you, because God wants you to come home. God created you to love you. Jesus says in, or God says in Jeremiah chapter, uh, chapter 9 verse 33, I believe, that, uh, I have loved, loved you with an everlasting love. God knows your name. And God wants you to come to Him. And so I want us to look at uh, this uh, story, and we're going to read verses 11 through 24 this morning of Luke chapter 15. The Bible says this, and he said, there was a man who had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, father, give me the share of the property that is coming to me. And the father divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all that he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property, reckless living. 
And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to be to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. He was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate. And no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger? I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion. And ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him, and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet, and bring the fatted calf and kill it, and let us celebrate. For this son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. This son came home. And maybe you're here this morning and you're feeling a bit like this prodigal son. Uh, God has a message for you. He has a message for all of us this morning. But there's some steps involved. There's some things that we can see in this story that will help us make the, the, the godly decision to come back home to our Father. How do we get back to God? I think that's a question a lot of people ask themselves. How can I get back to God? After all I've done, what does the Father think of me? Well, this story is an encouragement. There's four steps I want to share with us this morning. And the first step is this. We need to get fed up with our life. You need to get fed up with your life. If you find yourself the pot prodigal and you've lived a self-centered, selfish life and you've kind of come to the end of yourselves, you got to get to the point where, you know, you're done. You're done with you. And that's where this prodigal was. He had come to the end of himself. Look at verse 17. Verse 17, 17 says, And when he, had, when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger? This prodigal had frivolously spent everything he had, and he was so desperate for an income, he went to a landowner, he went to a farm owner that was raising pigs 
Now, if you know anything about Jewish culture, Jews want, don't want to have, don't, they don't want to have anything to do with pigs because they are an unclean animal. But here this prodigal is, he is slopping pigs. I mean, he's at the bottom of the bottom. And it is so bad that the food that he's feeding the pigs looks good to him. Verse, verse 18 says, and he, what it says, verse 19, uh, <laughs> it says, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread and I will arise and go to my father's house. But Okay, verse 16, I'm sorry. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate and no one gave him anything. No one would even give him the food that was being fed to pigs. That's how desperate his situation was. And he had come to the end of himself and he realized that my father, the servants of my father's house, have it better than me right now. Maybe you've wandered from God. You know, God has a way of getting our attention. And God will use circumstances in our life to help us come to the end of ourselves. I mean, he is a God who's knocking on our door. And sometimes, uh, and when we don't answer, when we do, he doesn't get us our, our attention, sometimes he knocks a little bit louder, a little bit harder. Sometimes he even blows the door down. Why does God do that? Why, why did God allow these circumstances to occur in this prodigal son's life? Because God loved him and God loves you too much for you to stay the way that you are. If you want to get back to God, The first step is getting fed up with your life. He doesn't want us to waste our life. And he'll use circumstances to make us thirsty for him. You know, you've heard that phrase, you can't uh, lead a, you can't make a horse drink, but what can you do? You can salt him to death. Or you can salt his oats, but, you know, get him to be thirsty, to, to drink. God wants us to be thirsty for him, and he's going to use circumstances to get our attention. John, Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 13 says, You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your hearts. You'll find God. When you begin to seek Him with all your heart. Not a portion of your heart, but all your heart. You need to be desperate for Him. You've got to get serious. And this is where the prodigal was. Life had caught up with the prodigal. 
I mean, up to this point, he was living a very selfish life. He went to his father and says, Father, give me my inheritance. Father, in my eyes, you are better off dead than alive. And I want what you have, what's mine now. That's how self-centered this prodigal was. And he went out and he spent it foolishly. And he realized how, how awful his life had become. And he was fed up and was ready to do something about it. So if you want to come back to home to God, first, you got to get serious. you got to be fed up with your life. Number two, you've got to own up to your sin. Own up to your sin. Look at verse 21. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. He owned up to his selfishness. He realized that where he was was far worse than even the employees in his father's family. And he was, he was desperate to do something about it. He knew that he had been living without God in his life. And my friend, when we try to live without God in our life, that, that's, that's insane. God has created you to be in relationship with you. God longs to spend time with you. And here was this prodigal that he had been living his life separated from the father and had experienced those circumstances and now he was owning up to his sin. And he tells God, he tells the father, Father, I have sinned against you and against God. Where are you this morning? Have you been trying to live life your own way? And without God in your life? Not without God in the equation of your life? How's that working out for you? Isaiah chapter 59 verse 2 says, But your iniquities have separated you from your God. Your sins have hidden his face from you so that he will not hear. Look at that verse. Your sins have hidden his face from you so that he will not hear you. Your sins have hidden God's face from you. If you feel far from God this morning, friend, it's not God who's moved. It's you. And if you're going to come back to God, you've got to own it. 
And oftentimes when we wander from God, we begun, begin to love other things than God. You know, the first commandment in Exodus chapter 20 is God says, you shall have no other gods before me. God wants to be the priority of your life. But when we put other things, when we love other things, when we pay attention to other things other than God, you know what the Bible says? The Bible says those are idols that we are worshiping. And those idols don't lead us to God. They lead us away from God. What are you putting before God this morning? God wants us to be desperate for Him. And God will use circumstances in our life to get our attention. And when we get desperate enough, we'll do something about it. Suppose this baptistry was full over here. And uh, I were to put you in this baptistry, and I were to put you under the water for, you know... 20 or 30 seconds and you might get a little stressed out and struggle a little bit, but then I bring you up, okay? And all's better. But suppose I got, did it again. I don't put you down for 20 seconds, but I'll put you down there for 30 or 35 seconds. Maybe you'll struggle a little bit more and then I'll bring you up and you'll relax and then I'll do it again. What if I put you down there for three or four minutes? What if I just held you down there and you got to the point where you thought I was drowning you? You would get really desperate, wouldn't you? And be grasping and doing whatever you could to come up for air. That's the desperation that we need to have for God. You know, as long as we hold on to our idol and things begin to keep working for us and life's okay, it's not great, but it's okay, we're not going to come back home. This prodigal had nothing else to hang on to. He was fed up. He couldn't go any further. He looked at himself and he realized that he was a sinner, that he was living selfishly, and he begged for his father's forgiveness. You know, David, King David was in that desperate situation. When when David sinned, when he took in Bathsheba and he had Bathsheba's husband killed and he thought that, uh, you know, he had pulled the wool over God's eyes and he had gotten away with something, he didn't fool God. And the prophet Nathan pointed out David's sin and David came to the end of himself. And David says this in Psalm 51, Have mercy on me, O God. 
according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions, wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So you are right in your verdict and justified when you judge. David was so desperate and so serious in getting back into a right relationship with with God. He wrote it down. It's in the Bible for everybody else to see that this is the consequences of this of his sin. This is what he'd done. And he he begs for God's mercy. I don't know what you've done. God knows. How do you think God would react if you ask for mercy and forgiveness? If you come back home to Him? God's not going to rub it in. He's not going to take your sin and and, uh, display it for everybody else to see. God's not going to rub it in. He's going to rub it out. And he's going to be there for you. Isaiah chapter 1 verse 18 says, Come now, let us settle the matter, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red as crimson, they shall be like wool. God wants to take it away. God wants to make you as as fresh and as pure as the driven snow as you call upon His grace and mercy and forgiveness. I have a little checklist. I don't know if I've got that check. I think I have that checklist right there on the top. Is that it? By the... No, I don't. Um, I have this spiritual checklist that would be a great tool for you um, this week that uh, I want to encourage you to pick up. I have some at the back and I have some in the Connection Center. Uh, your life groups, I've emailed the document to uh, your the life groups. And uh, I want to just encourage you to, you know, Do a survey of your life. Where are you at with the Lord? Maybe you're thinking life is pretty good. Well, this this is a thorough uh, spiritual examination. You know, we don't like to go to the doctor for physical examinations, do we? I mean, they're not the top of my list, that's for sure. Well, this spiritual checklist is like this. And there's about 12 different areas that will encourage you just to evaluate where are you in these various um, uh, areas of your life. I want to encourage you to get that uh, that sheet as you leave this morning. So, the steps back to God. Number one, got to be fed up. Number two, got to own up. And number three, you've got to offer up. You've got to offer up. And what I mean by that is you've got to go from a self-centered life 
to a God-centered life. Look at the, the change, the transformation that took place in this prodigal's life. Verse 12. Verse 12, this is where he was really selfish. And he said, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of my property that is coming to me. Give me, Father. But then once he's come to the, the end of himself, he's owned his, his sin. Look at verse 17. <clears throat> I'm sorry, uh, verse 19. He says, this is where he's come back to the Father and he says, I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. If you have the NIV, it's not treat, but make me. He's gone from give me, Father, to make me one of your hired servants. There is a transformation. There has, There is a humility that has occurred in his life. And my friend, when we choose to surrender, when we choose to put ourselves on the altar, offer ourselves up to Him, there's going to be a transformation that occurs. Now, I wish I could tell you that this transformation occurred overnight. You know, that when you come back, back home, I mean, you're going to be super spiritually mature, and it's just going to be a bed of roses from here on. No. It's... It's a daily decision that you must make to keep yourself on the altar. But transformation occurs over a lifetime as we offer ourselves up to Him. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 3 verse 18. Paul says, and we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into His image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. There is an ever-increasing glory. It is a process. Sanctification is a process. Justification happens immediately. You know, we are made right in God's eyes. But as a Christian, we are to, as we grow in Christ's likeness, this is called sanctification. And this happens over a lifespan. But we must offer, continually offer ourselves up to the Father. That word transformed in 2 Corinthians 3.18 the Greek word for transformed is metamorpho, meta, meta, metamorpho, metamorpho. Where do we get uh, that, our English word from that Greek word? Metamorphosis. Okay? A transformation occurs. Have you ever watched a butterfly or a caterpillar go from a, a a caterpillar to a butterfly? Does it happen immediately? No, the the butterfly, when it hatches, when it's born, it eats a lot. It it feeds on leaves for a period of time, and then pretty soon it gets to a point where it's big enough, it's fat enough, and then it goes into this cocoon. It's called a chrysalis. 
I would encourage you to go to YouTube. I was going to bring up a YouTube video of, of a caterpillar uh, transforming into a butterfly, but it was going to take a little bit of time. But uh, some interesting videos. There's one that uh, the, the music background is to a salsa song. As that, as that caterpillar is gyrating, another is uh, Tchaikovsky's Twelfth uh, Symphony, as it uh, is metamorphosizing. But uh, very interesting. But as you watch that caterpillar go into that chrysalis, you know it struggles. It's a process, and then it's in that chrysalis for about two weeks, and then it breaks out into this beautiful butterfly. Friends, when God is transforming our life, I wish I could tell you that it was easy, that it's a piece of cake, but it's not. It's a process. And you constantly have to be saying no to self. You have to deny yourself and put God first place in your life. And as you do that, God is going to transform your life. He doesn't want us to be a measly caterpillar for the rest of our life. He wants us to be transformed into a beautiful butterfly. I mean, there is something far greater than we have to look look forward to, to ourselves for. Jesus says, I came to give you life and life more abundantly. But that abundant life only comes through a relationship with the Father. And so here the, here the Son has gone from, give me, to make me. Father, I'm yours. Make me as... I'm not worthy to be your son, Father. Make me like one of your servants. Romans 12, verses 1 and 2 says, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the patterns of this world. And it's so easy to conform to the patterns of this world. But Paul says, be, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. His good, pleasing, and perfect will. It's perfect. Prove it to yourself. God says that it is true. And what will the Father do if you make this decision? If you humble yourselves, yourself, and come back home to Him. He's not a God standing on the front porch waiting for you to come crawling home and you hear the words, well, I told you so. That's not the Father. That's not the heart of God in this story. The Bible says that in the Son's humble, broken state, 
as he was still a far distance away, the father saw him from the front porch. And the Bible says the father ran to the son. The father made a spectacle of himself because he was so ecstatic that his son who was lost was now found, had come home. And that's how God feels about every one of us when we've wandered away from him. We're going to experience love and grace and mercy as we come home to the Father. And God wants what was best for his son. The Father said, bring out my best. My my son who was lost, was dead, is now alive. We're going to celebrate. We're going to party. Put a robe on him. Put sandals on him. Uh, Give him my signet ring. Uh, Give him the best. Maybe you're here this morning, you're thinking to yourself, well, Pastor, I may not be exactly where God wants me to be, but I'm living a pretty good life. You know what? We're all living a pretty good life in the United States of America. In fact, we're living a pretty good life right here in Ridgecrest. Now, you, I know we all have friends who feel sorry for the fact that we're living in this desolate desert of a place. Just shh, don't tell them, okay, with all the good things that are here. But in the U.S., it's a pretty good life, especially compared to the rest of the world. But there's a better life. And that's eternal life. And that's only, that's the only, only, that life only comes through a relationship with the Father. And that's, that's what God wants to provide. You come home, God's gonna give you His very best. You're gonna have the Son's full inheritance. Whatever is, whatever it belongs to Jesus is going to belong to you. It doesn't get any better than that, friend. And that's the God that we serve. He wants to transform you from a caterpillar into a beautiful butterfly. So the steps. Number one, you need to get fed up. Number two, you need to own up. Number three, you need to offer up your life. And then number four, you need to lift up. Lift up praise unto him. The father's reaction, folks, let's have a party. Let's celebrate what was lost has been found. And we're going to tell everybody, the son, my son has come home. And there was a celebration. And my friend, you need to learn to celebrate. You need to learn to praise him. Psalm 68 4 says, sing to God, sing in praise of his name. Rejoice before him. His name is the Lord. 
we sang a few minutes ago. Did you sing those songs? There was one song I didn't know, that last song that we sang, and so I kind of listened. That was the first time that we sang it. But you know what? I sang those other songs. And we need to, you need to sing those songs. You need to start praising your father. I, I know some of you are here and you think, well, pastor, I can't even carry a tune in a bucket. You know, you're one of those prison singers. Okay, you're behind a few bars and you don't have the right key. You know, you've you've got one of those you've got one of those voices that need to be cultivated. Okay, plowed under. Uh, I understand that, but the Bible doesn't tell us to sing a pretty song to the Lord or to sing all the right notes. The Bible says to make a joyful noise. God doesn't care whether you can sing on key or not. God just wants you to sing. Sing to God, Psalm 68, 4 says. Sing sing in praise of His name. Rejoice before Him. His name is the Lord. I think I've shared this with you before, but uh, my dad, he he came to know the Lord when I was about seven or eight years old. And I remember standing alongside my dad at um, Ashland Park Baptist Church um, after he got saved. You should hear my dad sing. It was not a pretty sound. I'm telling you, my dad sang at the top of his lungs, and every note was off-key. And here I am, standing next to my dad, you know, I'm down here, I'm looking up my dad, I'm thinking to myself, Dad, really? You know, I know what's on-key and what's off-key, and Dad, you don't sound good. But you know what? My dad didn't care. He'd found Jesus. And God had put, put a song in his heart. I didn't understand that as a, as a little boy. But you know, as I was preparing for this message today, I, I realized that. That my dad was excited about who God was in his life for the very first time. He didn't sound like Mama. Mamma had a pretty soprano voice. I could sing with Mamma, but God didn't care. Because my dad was making a joyful noise. There's this uh, psychologist in Southern California, Christian psychologist, and he asks um, patients that come in to see him who are struggling with depression. He asks them this question. He says, did you sing all the songs at church this last Sunday? He says, I want you to go back to church. And for the next three weeks, I want you to sing all the songs for three consecutive weeks. And you come back and see me. It's kind of a weird prescription. But he knew that. That praise, that song, 
made a difference in, people, in people's lives. And there has been a new test that research that has come out that has indicated uh, that very thing. There was a study that came out in July. I found this on the Internet. Um, and it says this. Experts say it should be offered singing for fun should be offered on prescription as new findings reveal that singing can benefit both our physical and mental health. A raft of studies suggests singing can help us feel happier and improve symptoms from health conditions ranging from depression to Parkinson's disease to uh, COPD. Respiratory problems. Singing engages the body, the mind, and feelings. and brings people together in a meaningful and joyful activity. In Sweden, experts recently reported that singing not only increases oxygen levels in the blood, but triggers the release of happy hormones such as oxytoxin, token, what? Octitocin. (laughs) Why are you laughing at me? Thought to lower stress levels and blood pressure. Care home facilities are bringing groups of group singing into the UK care homes. And the Alzheimer's Society runs singing for the brain uh, programs in uh, um, home care facilities. Regular singing sessions for dementia parent patients and their careers available are, these are happening nationwide. Singing makes a difference. And God tells us to sing a song to Him. We need to lift up. So where are you this morning? God wants you to come home. But to come home, you've got to get desperate. You've got to be, be fed up with your current circumstances. You've got to own it. Tell God that you sinned. That you failed. And then offer yourself up to Him. Why? Because Jesus offered his all to you. Jesus took all your sin upon himself. God doesn't want to judge you. God wants to forgive you. Set you free. And when he does, you can sing like my dad. (laughs) Hopefully it's on key, but even if it's not on key... God loves it. You can praise Him. Let's pray. Father, thank You for this story that Jesus told. Such a, such a creative story, but it's such a profound story because God lost people. People who are far from You matter to You. And God, you long for them to come home. And as they take that initial step, God, you are going to run to them. 
God, you want to set them free. Friend, where are you this morning? What does God want you to do? Obey him. Follow him. If you need prayer this morning, we have elders and their wives in the dining hall. We would love to spend some time in prayer with you. If you don't have a relationship with Jesus, you know you need to make that decision. We want to help lead you in that prayer to make Jesus the priority, the, the Lord of your life. God loves you so much that he sent Jesus to prove it. Thank you, Father, for this time. I pray that this time of worship would be a time of praise, and thanksgiving, contemplation. If there's decisions that need to be made, God, that people would move from where they're at and come to the dining hall and visit with those who are ready to receive them. Thank you, Father, for this time of worship. Would you please stand with me as we offer up praise to him?